A couple of weeks back, at this point, it's probably a couple months back, we were in, uh, in young adults and we were meeting at sometimes after the Bible study, we separate guys and girls. And we were there with the guys and I was talking with them, hey, if you're going to go to war, what do you do? Right? What are the things if you're going to go to war? Oh, we plan, we, we get supplies, we make a mission, we do all of these things, right? So they had all this whole list of things we should do. And then I said, there's nothing else, there's nothing else. And then I asked them, did you get any other recruits? Do you have any other men with you? Are you just going to work completely by yourself, right? Do you think you're the Rambo, right? Or something like that, right? Or do we realize that you need a group of people with you to be able to wage warfare, right? And throughout the book of Numbers, we've talked about how a lot of Leviticus had to deal with holiness or how we're supposed to worship the Lord. But Numbers has a lot to do with warfare and how we're pilgrims. We're pilgrims just passing through and the nation of Israel as they're going through the wilderness as they're making it into the promised land they are pilgrims just passing through and so much of that passing through there is warfare to be had and here in chapter 3 what we're going to see is the Levites they were not counted for warfare but they're going to be counted for worship so the Levites, they weren't counted at all for warfare, but they're going to be counted for worship. And sometimes we think, ah, worship's not that important. The war, that, that's where the things are really won and lost. However, for a family and even for a nation, uh, really where the spiritual state of the nation is, that, that's just the trajectory of the nation, right? Where the morality is, that's the trajectory of the nation. Uh, again, just be praying in California, they passed a, a bill today that would allow babies after birth to be murdered without any repercussions. So uh, again, just pray for our nation, pray for the, the world we're living in. But hey, let's read Numbers chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. It says, now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu. Eleazar and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. So, like we mentioned, chapter 1 and chapter 2, the people have all been counted. God wants them to know what's the state of their military force as they're going to be having to go through all of these different battles. Now, in chapter 3, he's going to count the Levites and he's going to give each of them their roles within their ministry, their duty, and within worship. And he starts off with, right, Moses. He's, he's commanding Moses. And then he speaks to Aaron and Aaron's sons. However, if you remember back in Leviticus chapter 10, two of Aaron's sons, they died. They were struck by God in the tabernacle because they were offering a strange fire or a profane fire. Nadab was the firstborn. He would be next in line to follow after Aaron. And yet because of his sin, they were struck dead. This is important to us because sometimes we think that there's so few numbers or maybe have such a low amount of servants. I have such a small amount of volunteers. Maybe I'll turn a blind eye towards their sin. 
Or I'll turn a blind eye just because they're not, they're, not, they're not optimal, they're not doing great, but I have nobody else, so I guess I just have to deal with it. We see that's not the way that God works. Aaron, he only had a few sons, and these guys, they were next in line. They were doing the work in the priesthood, in the tabernacle, and their sins God did not allow to continue or run rampant. More than likely, these men were under the influence of alcohol, and within the priesthood, with any pastor, the only influence they should be under is the influence of the Holy Spirit. And here God, he doesn't say, oh, I only have a handful of people, or what is Aaron going to think? No. Right away, they're struck dead. And it's to the point, if you remember, God, he tells Moses to tell Aaron, hey, you can't weep like normal because you're a Levite. You got to, this is sin and you got to treat sin as sin. So the Lord, he's starting to break down, if you would, the leadership and he's going to strip it down to give each area of ministry, each area of oversight, their group of overseers, their group of workers, their people that they know this is what you are responsible for. Verse 5 and 6, Lord speaks to Moses saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present him before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. So what this reveals to us is that priests were only Levites, but not every Levite was a priest. You got that? Some of you are still confused, right? Priests were only Levites, but not every single Levite was a priest. You see, no one but Aaron's sons and their lineage was allowed to be priests. They were the only ones allowed to lead the people in worship. They were the only ones allowed to do the offering, the sacrifice, the altar, the incense, all of these things. It was only for Aaron and his sons. But there is so much more work to be done in service towards the Lord. And sometimes we lose track of that. We just see the people on the platform. We see the people with the microphone. And we say, that's the only thing we're doing at church. And that's not the case. There is so much work to be had in church. There's so much work to be done in the ministry. And there's a danger oftentimes that we can grow obsessed with what we don't have. We can become obsessed with what we are not called to do or called to be. And that's really a dangerous point. Oftentimes the men I've seen become pastors. It's kind of like the last thing they wanted to ever do. Right? Uh, me within my life. Growing up I kind of swore off ever working with my dad. Or, or working at Calvary Chapel Miami. Being a pastor. Having to teach Bible studies. Again, It's not my number one choice going into ministry. But I know that it is my calling. What God has in his economy over and over and over again is that we are required to be faithful. That's our only requirement. That's how God is going to gauge us once we get to heaven is, hey, were you faithful with what I gave you? I gave you these five kids in kids ministry. Were you faithful with them? I gave you the parking lot ministry. Were you faithful here? I'm sure when I get to heaven, there's going to be older women that they were more faithful in their ministry of prayer than I am faithful with what God has given me. And they're going to be given a greater reward than I will. So again, it's all about our faithfulness. Oftentimes you see, God, this is all you've given me. God, I deserve a lot more, right? God, have you not seen my resume? Do you not know all the things that I've done? We need to be faithful with what God has given us. And then he, in his timing, as we're faithful with little, he will give us more and more and more. The other dangerous thing is when we try to do things by our own hand, 
right? Sadly, in some other churches, there's a church corporate ladder that you can like climb up. Sad to say there's a church link in, right? If you want to start your own church, you could find all the pastors and workers you need, right? You just hire different people. If that's the route you're going and you're trying to do it by your own hands, it will all crumble and fall, right? You see that with Saul and his kingdom versus David and his kingdom. David took a step back and allowed the Lord to build it all and do it all. And it stands the rest of eternity. Saul, he tried to do it all in his own might and it all crumbled and fell. It was torn from him, ripped from him. Verse 7 and 8, it says, And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting, to do the work of the tabernacle. Also they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. So the Lord, he gives Moses and Aaron basically a list here. Aaron's job was to attend to the needs of the Lord. That's the job of the high priest. That's kind of really the job of a senior pastor is to attend to the needs of the Lord and the needs of the people. However, the Levites around them, what were they supposed to take care of? First and foremost, the needs of Aaron. Then it's the needs of the whole congregation. Then it's the needs of the tabernacle. And it's the work of the tabernacle. Again, some of this, it's spiritual But a whole lot of this is just practical needs. Just practical needs. How easy and comfortable would it be for you to listen to a Bible teaching if the sound isn't working, right? How easy, how practical is it for you to listen to a teaching if there's no chairs in the sanctuary? If the rug is dirty? If the bathrooms stink, right? How how practical is it? If the air conditioning is not working, if the bills aren't paid, if the lights aren't on, all of these are practical needs within a church, but oftentimes we overlook them. But what has God called us to do? Each of us personally, we'll look at that more later. Verse 9 and 10, you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood, But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. And here we see the warning of trying to grab other areas of ministry that you are not called to. Right? Thank God we live in New Testament, New Covenant, right? But here in the Old Testament, if there was a Levite that was sick and tired of their job, and they say, man, I just want to be the one at the altar today, right? I just want to be the one offering incense today. They would do it once and that was it, right? Why? Because they'd be put to death. No outsider was to come near to it. Right? Is this nepotism? Does God have favorites? Does God have this? God has order and calling. And and just got to be faithful to it. God has, he does. He has, first and foremost, his holiness, his best interests in heart. He has our best interests at heart as his sons and his daughters. So he gives each of us the role we are to play, the role that we are to fulfill, the need that God has designed us to bless within the church and within the ministry. We'll look at this more later on. Verse 11 through 13, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn, 
In the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. At the end of the chapter, God, he sort of has this exchange process where he's going to trade all of the firstborn males of all of Israel and he's going to trade them for all of the Levites, right? So we'll look at that at the end. But the whole reason why this is transpiring, the whole reason why this is taking place is because back in Exodus when Israel's coming out of the slavery of Egypt during the 10th plague, the firstborn of every home would die unless they followed the Passover, right? Unless they followed God's commands to kill a perfect lamb and to paint the blood above the doorpost, right? Making these two crosses on the top there. And if you would obey this, then the angel of death would pass by your house and your firstborn son, your firstborn son human, and the firstborn sons of animals would survive and not be put to death. And as this took place, God is saying he sanctified, he separated to himself the firstborn in Israel. It's important to know that many believe the firstborn son, the firstborn animal was the strongest and best animal or the strongest and best son as well. And how God is saying, I deserve your best. I deserve your best. Not your leftovers. Not your end of, ah, God, this is all I got left is a little bit of lint and a mint. And God, I guess this is you, right? How do I tie 10% of a lint and mint, right? No, God deserves our absolute best. Because what would we have if it wasn't for the Lord? What would you have if it wasn't for the Lord? His goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his forgiveness. What would we have if it wasn't for the Lord? So doesn't he at least deserve our best instead of the end of the line? It's interesting because Levi, up until this point, they have a very bad rep. You could write down Genesis chapter 49, verse 5 and 7, 5 through 7. There's these two brothers, Simeon and Levi, and they're almost given a curse from their father as he's passing away because of their evil, because of their cruelty, because of their trickery and their anger. They murdered so many men through their trickery and anger, and they were given a curse at the end of Jacob, Israel's life. And yet in Exodus chapter 32, let's turn there now, this is how the tribe of Israel turns it around. And I believe it is such an incredible picture for every believer. How we were once sons of cruelty, once sons of anger, once men and women that were cursed. And yet if we decide to align ourselves with God, the blessings that come from heaven. Exodus chapter 32. Here this is when Moses, he leaves the nation of Israel for, right, you think of that teacher that steps out of the classroom for a day, right, for a minute. Hey, got to take this phone call. Everybody stay still. Moment the teacher gets out, all chaos breaks loose, right? So Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to meet with God, and their conversation gets interrupted, and God says, Hey, Mo, you got to go down there. You got to go back down there. Why? What's going on? You got to go back down there. And as Moses is going down, he's hearing drum, he's hearing beat, he's hearing all this music. He's thinking, What is going on? Is there war happening? And it was music, it was dancing. And Aaron, right, was Aaron the high priest because he was so holy? Was Aaron the high priest because he was so good? No, he's the first biblical idol maker in the whole Bible, right? 
And yet God calls him to become the high priest for the whole nation of Israel. So he creates this golden calf. The nation of Israel is around it, dancing naked, drinking, having orgies, right? All around this thing that's happening. Moses gets down there. And in verse 25, Exodus chapter 32, it says, Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the words of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Verse 29, Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. So again, out of all the tribes of Israel, Levi is the only one willing to stand on God's side. They were the only ones willing to stand on God's side, and they were the only ones willing to wield the sword even against their own family. Now, New Testament, how do we apply this to us? It's the same idea here. Are you willing to be on the Lord's side? Are you willing to be on God's side? Not just... In church, on a Wednesday night, when there's a lot of people around you that are on God's side, right? But when you're at work, when you're at the barbershop, when you're with your family, when you're with your friends, when you're out and about, are you willing to stand on God's side, even though right, 12, 11 out of the 12 aren't willing to stand on God's side? That's first and foremost. Second is, are we willing to use the sword against our own family? What does that mean, right? New Testament, what's the sword? It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. And sadly, sometimes we can be very hypocritical in only wielding the sword against people we don't like or people we're annoyed with. But then when it comes to our own sins or the sins of our own family, we sort of turn a blind eye towards it. That doesn't jive well with the Lord. We need to be just as ruthless with the world and sins and evil and unbiblicalness with the world as we are within our own homes. And oftentimes within a pastor's home or a church leader's home, what's required is that their home is running in order, that they have a good reputation and it should be the same for us as a believer. Are you on the Lord's side? And are you willing to wield the sword against your own family? The word of God, hey, we cannot do this because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know that's what everybody else is watching. I know that's what all your friends are doing. But this is what God has called us to do. Mom, Dad, are you willing to wield the sword in your own home? Starting with yourself and then for the rest of your family. Revelation chapter 5 verse 10. It's the end of age, right? Revelation the end. And it says, And he has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We've looked at this extensively. We today are called to be a kingdom of priests to our God. 
representing God to the world around us and representing the world, right? Praying for the world to the Lord. But it requires that we stand on God's side and we are willing to wield God's word against our own lives and the lives of our family. One last verse here, Matthew chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking, verse 37 through 39. This is Jesus, right? Perfect love here. And he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, it's dangerous. We can oftentimes put our kids on pedestals. They can become our little idols, and we don't want to deal with the sin in their lives. We can have our own, our own lives, right? Our own hobbies become our little idols, and we're not willing to deal with the sin within our own life. If we're willing to keep anything away from God, what does Jesus say? We are not worthy of him. Got to pick up that cross and follow him, right? That's that last song we sung. Lord, my whole life is yours. Everything is yours. It's all yours, right? But then when we take it practically in our lives, sometimes it hurts. But it's always a blessing and a benefit to us. Again, imagine the blessing for the Levites to have God himself telling Moses, the Levites... They are mine. God of heaven and earth saying, the Levites, they are mine. They belong to me. They are my special people. Again, this is an incredible privilege. And we can have this privilege today as well. But are you willing to be standing on the Lord's side and wield the sword? If you're willing to do that, then God's going to say the same thing. Hey, that's one of mine. That's my special people. That's my special possession. They're willing to stand with me even though the world is in opposition against me. Back to Numbers chapter 3, verse 14. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by their father's houses, by their families. You shall number every male from a month old and above. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. These were the sons of Levi, by their names Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon, by their families, Libni and Shimei. And the sons of Kohath, by their families, Amram, Izahar, Hebron, and Uziel. These are the sons of Merari. This guy, he didn't like his kids so much, right? Mahali and Mushi, right? Or Mushai, right? Poor kid. These are the families... Of the Levites by their father's houses. So again, they're not counted for war, but they are counted for worship. And we talked about this, how worship and our spiritual state determines the trajectory of our family, of our life personally. It can have a lot to do with the trajectory for our family, our city, our nation, and the world around us. Later on, if you're going through the Bible reading, right, we saw in the book of Judges how the nation of Israel, they lost their special protection and blessing from God. Why? Because they went off after idols. They began worshiping other idols, so they lost the favor and protection of God, and suddenly they were enslaved by kingdom after kingdom after nation after nation. 
Doesn't matter how incredible the army of Israel would have been at that point. Spiritually, if they are not right with God, you cannot inherit blessing. Israel could not inherit blessing either. Here what we see is that the Levites are now split up by these three men, these three brothers, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And it's so interesting how God knows each of their names. He wants to know each of the names of the little babies, right, from one month old and up. He's going to tell them specifically where to camp. Again, if you remember, if we back up, this is that huge camping trip that all of Israel is still on, right? All two million of them. God cares about their name, their father's name, their home, where they're camping, and how God cares about us in these specific areas even today. God cares about you. You're one month old, right? You're a little baby. Wherever you're at, God is caring about you. We won't read through all of this. A lot of it is similar, but we'll go through some of it. Verse 21 says, From Gershon came the family of the Libnites and the family of the Shemites. These were the families of the Gershonites, those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from a month old and above. Of those who were numbered were 7,500. The families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward, and the leader of the father's house of the Gershonites was Elisaph, the son of Lael. The duties of the children of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court which are around the tabernacle and the altar, and their cords according to all the work relating to them. So we see the Gershonites, right? One of the brothers, the family here, they are to camp specifically on the west side of the tabernacle. How Israel, all of their orientation was attached to where is the tabernacle, right? Where's our orientation today? But there's 7,500 of them, and the specific job, the specific role, the specific calling God placed on their lives was to take care of a bunch of curtains and cords. And that's what God had specifically for them. Is that something of honor? I guess it just depends how prideful you are, right? If you're deserving death, if you've been pronounced a curse on by Jacob, if you're a son of anger, a son of cruelty, and all of these things are going to happen to you, and then all of a sudden God says, hey, you're mine. I want you to be a part of my family. Are you willing to take care of the curtains and, you know, put the cords together, right? Take care of the sound cords or whatever the case may be. Yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of you and to do the work of the ministry with you. Again, pride is such a dangerous thing. Such a dangerous thing to us. May we always be reminded of who we truly are at our core. Verse 27 from Kohath, right, talks about all of their families. There's 8,600 of them. They were to camp on the southward side of the tabernacle. And now it says their duties, verse 31, included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. I don't know if you ever had a conversation with someone, you're like, hey, who, who are you under, right? Who do you go to for advice? Who do you talk to? I'm only under God, right? 
I only talk to God. That's the only person over me. It doesn't make sense. It's not biblical. Even here for the Levites, for the sons of Kohath, they're given Eliezer to be in oversight of what they're doing. Oversight of what? Basically a moving company, right? That's their job. It's the furniture inside of the tabernacle. But what would Eliezer do? He would go in first. First would be the high priest. And he would cover the Holy of Holies there. He'd cover the Ark of the Covenant. And then Eliezer would cover all the different other objects. And then the guys would go in and be moving it out. Again, you got to remember, during the day, a pillar of cloud. During the night, a pillar of fire. Whenever it moves, all the Levites would have to get up and start their moving, right? Start breaking down their tents. The first guys, right, they grab all of the curtains. They grab all of the outward tent coverings, the four layers of cloth over the tabernacle. Now these guys, they'd move in. They'd grab all of the furniture. Verse 33, we have from Merari, right? I don't know if they're Merari rights, right? Or the family of Merari. But they, there's 6,200 of them. They were to camp on the northward side of the tabernacle. And now their job, in verse 36, was to grab the boards of the tabernacle, the bars, the pillars, the sockets, its utensils, and all the work relating to them. And the pillars of the core all around with their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. So their job was to unpack and repack the structure of the tabernacle. Right? Could they whine and complain? How come you get to carry the Ark of the Covenant, right? I have to carry this tent peg, right? That's what I have to be carrying on. How come you get to carry that, right? Again, it all depends on the gratitude in your heart for what God has done or the pride in your heart. Verse 38, moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tabernacle of meeting were Moses, Aaron, and his sons, keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel but the outsider who came near was to be put to death so again God took very serious where the different Levites camped out he took very serious their jobs their roles the responsibilities given to each of them and now Moses Aaron their family the the lineage of high priests they were to be stationed on the eastward side of the tabernacle. And that would be closest to the entrance of the tabernacle. Right? Kind of practical here. If you think that you're called to full-time ministry, move close to church. Right? Biblically, that's what it is. He puts them right at the entrance of the tabernacle. Verse 39, all who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord, by their families, all the males from a month old and above, were 22,000. So you have 22,000 Levites, one month old and above, and God gives each of them a specific task. Hey, your job is this curtain. Your job is this rod. Hey, your job is to hold this board covered in gold. But hey, this is your job, right? And it's important for us to know the church, it is an organism, but it needs good organization, right? Sometimes they go, people go from one extreme to the other. Church should have no organization, right? Should just be holy chaos somehow or another. No, doesn't work out too well, right? Sometimes people, everything needs to be organized. Everything needs to be perfect. You can't move out of the timing, right? There's some churches, one person has a microphone and a clipboard and is telling people what they're supposed to be doing, what time they got to get off the platform. That's not us. We could think of John 15, verse 5, and how Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me 
you can do nothing. How it all starts off with being plugged into the Lord. It all starts off with being plugged into Jesus. If you're not plugged into Jesus, you cannot serve him. You cannot serve him in excellence, but you can't serve him, period, because apart from him, you can do nothing. So how do we apply all of this, right? The Levites, they're different roles, they're different tasks. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 verse 12 is truly the whole point of church existing. This is the whole point of church existing. It's feeding the poor, it's good, it's important. Helping orphans, it's good, it's important. Helping widows, it's good, it's important. But if the church is not equipping saints, if the church is not edifying and building up the body of Christ, they are not fulfilling the God-given role and duty that God has given to them. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Again, here Paul, he likens the church, this organism, to being a body. How Jesus, he's the head, and everybody has, right, each joint, each ligament, it's all supplied. And when it's working together, it causes growth and edifying of itself in love. The body, the human body is an incredible thing, right? There's some really gross things about it. There's some really beautiful things about it, right? You think of the eye, the human eye is a, a beautiful thing, right? Maybe your spouse, you let you marry them because they have light eyes, right? Amanda, she has beautiful green eyes, right? Or whatever the case may be. And maybe you like eyeballs, right? And, and that's what you're into. You can think of hands and fingers, right? Is there anything cuter than the little hands and the little toes on a baby? Little teeny tiny fingers, little teeny tiny toes, right? Super cute. Even uh, my kids right now, some of them are still smaller. Levi, he's pretty big for eight-year-old, right? But my five-year-old, my three-year-old, they still have little hands, little feet. It's so cute. It's so special. But if you would have just a green eyeball just sitting on your, like, stand, <laughs> it wouldn't be so cute anymore, right? I might call the police on you and say, what in the world is going on here? It wouldn't be very effective, Right? Those little hands, those little toes, if you have just a little baby hand sitting on your doorstep, again, we're calling the police. Something is not right there. And what this tells us is that God has given each of us a God-given rule, but if we are separated from the body, we're not in a healthy place. We're not in a healthy place. What makes us so beautiful, what makes us so effective for ministry is that we're plugged into First and foremost, Jesus Christ, if we're not abiding in him, if we're not plugged into him, you can do nothing. 
But then secondly, we are a part of this whole body, right? Joints, ligaments, tendons, fingers, eyes, hair, and all of it is needed to be healthy and to grow and to grow in love towards one another. Do you think that you're high enough to be separated from the body? Do you think you deserve a bigger body or a better body? i got to move to another church that's bigger for what I'm meant to be doing. Or are you that Levite that's just grateful knowing you were once a son or daughter of violence, of cursing, and now God has brought you in and he's willing to say, hey, you are mine. It's all about that mindset. It's all about faithfulness. Matthew 25, verse 23. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Are you faithful with the few things God has given you? With the time God has given you, your your finances, your gifts, your talents, have you been faithful to serve the Lord through these things? We don't have time to go through the whole thing, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there Paul goes for 20 verses straight talking about the body of Christ, the different members that are all required in it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verse 12, we'll jump around here a bit. It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized in one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Again, you can finish that up later and read through verse 31, but how we need each different part of the body of Christ. And even with those two sons, right, you think of Aaron's sons, even in their death, there was pain and there's more responsibility for the other brothers and for the other family. Instead of being split into five, right, now all of a sudden split into three and now it's tighter and more work. It all hurts. The whole body hurts if you are not in alignment with Jesus. If you're not abiding with him. If you're not plugged into him. We are all one. But are we faithful with whatever God has given you, right? If you're that pinky, are you faithful to do whatever pinkies do, right? Go up when you're drinking tea, whatever, making promises, right? Are are you faithful to that? Are you just spending your whole life saying, man, I just want to be a thumb. I just want to be a thumb. That's all I've ever wanted to be. There's another thing that I think is, is hurting lots of believers as of late. And it's the whole idea that God has only made me or I should only take serious great work for the Lord. How somehow, again, the whole mindset of being faithful in the little and then you'll be given much, that is lost a whole lot in Christendom today. 
how we are made for, right? Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not just great works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should be faithful in even the little things, in being a good husband, in being a good wife, in preparing that meal and locking all the doors at night. Right? God has not just created us for great works. Oh, when, when is my life going to start? And I'm going to preach that huge sermon and 10,000 people are going to get saved. Right? When is God going to put me in that big job and then I'll have a footprint and then I'll be able to do this thing? Friend, God has created us for each good work. And our life, a life isn't made by just one great work. A life is made by just a whole bunch of good work done for the Lord. Lots of little tiny good works for your kids, right? Being a good parent, being a good son or daughter, being a good employee, being a good employer. It's not that they gave you just one great Christmas bonus and they treated you like garbage the rest of the time. It's they were good to you over and over and over again. So we as believers, we need to be careful that we're not just kicking things to the side saying, oh, this is only a good work. This is only a menial task. I won't really care about it that much. But when God gives me the great work, then, then I'll pay attention to it. No, be faithful in those little things. That's the only way it works. Back to Numbers chapter 3. We'll finish off here. These last verses, verse 40. We again just see the attention to detail that our God has. In verse 40, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above, and take the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me, I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded him. Again, the book of Numbers, Israel, they're super blessed. Everything's going great. First 10 or 11 chapters because they keep being obedient as the Lord commanded them. When does everything break loose and all chaos happens? When they begin to disobey the Lord. Verse 43, And all the firstborn males according to the number of names from one month old and above, and of those who were numbered of them were 22,200 and 73. So God says, hey, we're going to make this trade. I'm going to take all the Levites, and I want you to count all the firstborn males. So we know there's about 22,000 Levites, and now this number we're given is 22,273. Again, the details of God, firstborn males. So we say, ah, 273? Not a big deal, God, right? Keep the change. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. No, verse 44. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, take the Levites, Instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites, instead of their livestock, the Levite shall be mine, I am the Lord. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. And you shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of twenty geras. And you shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money 
1,365 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of the Lord, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Right, just one final note here. Are we giving God our all or whatever God has convicted us of? We touched on that a bit on Monday night with the young adults out. Now, whatever the Lord is asking of you, and be sure to, to give him all, right? If he's asking you to get rid of certain things, give it all to him. Don't keep those 273 right, guys on the side thinking that he's not going to notice. Give him all that's required and due to his name. Because again, what would we have if it were not for the Lord? So, hey, where do you fit within the body of Christ? Do you think that you're exempt? Do you think that you don't need to be a part of it? Right, you think of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. How do you know that you're a Christian? A, you love God. B, you're obedient to Scripture. And C, you love other Christians. You just love being around them. You love spending time with them because you're stuck with us for all of eternity, right? That's the way it goes. So again, do you think that you're exempt, that you don't have to be a part of the body of Christ? Again, that's a bad place to be. Do you think your work is too menial? Like, ah, I'm not doing anything here for the kingdom of God. That's a lie from the enemy. Every single part of the body is so important and so intricate. Do you think you're all that in a bag of chips, that what you're doing is so important in the church? I'm sure that Aaron's first two sons, they thought they were super important too. And then what happened? Messing around? Struck dead. So again, may we always just be grateful that we were once sons of anger, sons that were cursed, and for whatever reason, in his grace, his kindness, and his mercy, he says, hey, that's one of mine. 